0: As we journey through the book of Exodus, we're going to talk about um, when obedience and opposition meet, because they do. They do. Obedience and opposition meet up somewhere in our lives. And particularly here in these portions of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to find that. And so we celebrate the Word. And Father, I thank you for your for your Word to us. I thank you for the Bible. I thank you that the Word is just so incredibly powerful to change us, to challenge us, to correct us, to commission us. Um, we thank you, Lord, that this morning it will do the same again. Trust you for that in Jesus' name. We thank God for the Bible. Amen? We last of you thank God for your word, the word of God. So I want to just, before we go into chapter 5, which is where we're heading this morning, I want to kind of just linger a little bit in some of the verses that are towards the end of chapter 4. And uh, we're going to cover Exodus 4, verses 21, all the way through um, to 5, verse 23. So a little bit of um, area to cover today, so stay with me. And uh, read with me through the word. Verse 21, it says the following. And the Lord said to Moses, which he had often done up to now, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. How's that? See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. So God had done a couple of miracles, and we had spoken about that up to now. A couple of miracles that were done. Just for Moses. Correct? Because Moses was like, who are you, God? Please show me that you'll be with me. And God performed a couple of miracles. So all of these things, um, Kilton so aptly described it was the moment that Moses had with God. But it was a private moment. You agree? It was just God and Moses. Now God is saying to Moses, what I've done to you privately... I want you to take that publicly. I want to take it to Pharaoh. You're going to now demonstrate my power in front of Pharaoh, which is kind of like daunting. It's like everything that God had done for Moses was done in just the two of them. And that sounded quite comfortable. But there comes a time when God says, now it's time for us to go public. And so Moses is encouraged. To say, listen, the time of your moment with God, it's time for that to go into the public arena where others can see what God has been saying to you. What I want to say to us is that the moment you start walking with God, when He starts speaking into your heart, when you are part of God's body, and when you spend time with God and you read His Word and He impacts your life, Those are special moments, isn't it? Where God speaks and He does and He works and He shows you things. But the reality is they can never stay private. They have to go public. So we don't come out of a time with God and say, Hey, everybody, just I want to show you what God said to me. No, it's what God imprints into your spirit, what He does in your life, what He shows you. He expects of you to go and live that out. So that's what happened to Moses. He had this incredible moment or moments with God that eventually had to go, he had to go public with them. And our public life, this is, the, this is the, um, the challenging part of it, is that our public lives should actually be an outflow of our private walk with God. But sometimes our public lives become an outflow of our private walk with something else. <laughs> And it could be whores of things that we privately walk with. We have some instruments at our disposal these days that have such an incredible influence on our lives. And that's the thing that we privately walk with. We call it a cell phone. And that is so much of of our private lives are built around that. When we walk with that thing privately, eventually it does show in our public walk. And so our public life is, is an outflow of our private walk. Our private walk supposedly with God. But if we don't have a private walk with God, then our public lives are an evidence or resemble something else. And so that's where often we have these struggles is that um, pri- publicly we exhibit stuff that may not come from our private walk with God because there's possibly an absence of a walk with God. So I want to encourage us all, dig deep into your private walk with God. Because God wants to use that publicly. He wants the world to see. So in a sense, these these parents here this morning went public with what happened privately. hey? And they prepared to let you all be involved in their public walk with their children. And say, I want to dedicate myself and my child to the Lord to publicly be an evidence of His grace. So that's the first part in, in verse 21 the first half. The second half is a little bit different. (laughs) So God's preparing uh, Moses amazingly. He says to him, but I will harden his heart. This is now the guy that he's going to go to, Pharaoh. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Verse 21b. So we have these points of of, um, stopping this morning, these Various places along this journey up to 5, verse 23, where we're going to stop. And we're stopping at this thing where it says, God is saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. It's like, gee, that's not a fair deal, God. It's like, you're telling me to go and perform miracles in front of Pharaoh so that he will let the people go. But now you're saying, you will harden his heart that when I get there, he's not going to let it happen. It's like, I'm signing up for a raw deal here. You're telling me that you will be with me, but you will harden his heart. It's like, how's this going to work? And this is one of the controversial parts in the Bible where we like struggle with this thing because we find throughout the story of, of God and Pharaoh interacting through Moses as the mediator kind of person that, that it says God hardened his heart. It's kind of like 10 places where you read about this in the, in the whole portion in Exodus, but Half of them, actually 10, God hardens, and, and then the other 10 almost where, where it says that Pharaoh himself hardened his heart. So I want to say this to you, as, and we have little time to really explore this in depth, but because this can become strange for us to understand. We need to firstly understand this, that all human beings are born with a hardness in their heart towards God. So it wasn't like Pharaoh was innocent. And then, oh, God made me do this. Now this is the way that we are born. Even these beautiful children here, like Nathan Blessing, beautiful little boy. But there's there's a hardness in our hearts when we are born against God. And so don't let's not blame God first of all that oh, he made Pharaoh hard. This is how we are born. We have the choice to soften our hearts at some stage as we grow older. To soften our hearts towards God or to keep it hard. And unfortunately, we live in a world where many people keep it hard. Pharaoh was one of them. There's nothing in the verses here or in, the, in Exodus that indicates that God was not going to accept him should he have softened his heart. God was deliberately out to harden his heart so that if he ever would soften his heart, "Ah, I'm not going to receive that. No, no. The word of God is clear. That's why we often talk about Scripture interpreting Scripture. You will find that wherever people repent of a hardness of heart, God accepts them. Pharaoh never did. All right? The second thing that we need to know is that God was going to use the situation of hardness to glorify himself. You read about that in, in, in Exodus 9. From about 16 to 17, where God says, even though this man is hard, firstly by choice, and yeah, I've added a little bit to it, but I will use it to bring glory to me. God did not initiate this. Pharaoh did. And God simply added to it to use it to display his power. Pharaoh just simply believed he's a God. (laughs) And that's kind of like a hard heart, don't you think? That's what he believed. Even before God arrived on the scene, that's how Pharaoh considered himself to be, a God. And again, if we had time to go into the to the history of how people were treated to, to elevate him to being a God, you'll be astounded. But he believed that. But God was going to use, listen, this is a key thing. God was going to use his continued rebellion against him to spread his glory. God was going to capitalize on that. So God is not kind of taken by surprise when somebody has a hard heart towards Him. He can use any hard heart for His glory. He did it with Pharaoh. It's like the example of the sun. You know when the sun shines on on wax? The same sun that shines on wax melts it. The same sun that shines on clay hardens the clay. It's the same son. Same God. Some people melt. If they consider him, others become harder against him. And so here we have Pharaoh that didn't melt. Didn't soften his heart. He just became hardened. God said, okay, well that's how you are. I'm going to harden your heart on top of your own hardness. And I'm going to use your unwillingness to surrender to me to spread my glory. To establish my purposes. You don't want to surrender. But you know what? I can use it. (laughs) I can use even your hardness, Pharaoh. To let my name be glorified. And that's what God did. He used the state that he was in to still bring glory to himself. And God therefore can steer any form of evil towards his purposes. But it does not mean that he engineers it. That he initiates evil. You've got to understand that clearly. Think, oh, God is behind all the evil because he hardened his heart. No, no. Evil was initiated by the enemy and Pharaoh submitted to that and chose to be evil. God just used that for his own glory. Pharaoh was was responsible for his own evil, but it could not resist God's plan for salvation for his people. So when we live in evil environments, We can so easily be controlled in our thinking that, oh, evil exists everywhere. But God can use any form of evil to bring about His plans. Do you understand? Because where in the world are we going to run away from evil here on earth? So, oh, let me just get there because there's no evil. Come on. Come on. There's evil everywhere. But it doesn't mean that we are controlled by it. We're controlled by the one the righteous one who lives in our hearts, wherever we go, we know that he goes with us, and we overcome evil by the great God that we serve. We carry on in verse in chapter twenty, um, chapter four, and verse twenty-four. It says, "At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him." This is now Moses. He's on his way now back to Egypt, all right, to go and see the people being released. It says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. That's crazy. Again, we've got to stop at these things and just consider what's going on here. I mean, this is a guy that God had spoken to through the burning bush, had this moment with God. He promised that he will be with him. God is able to make anything possible. And so on his way to go now and deliver the people, God's like, ah, I'm going to kill you doesn't make sense, does it? Have you ever read this and stopped at it and just said, God, just doesn't make sense. That's where it's so relevant that God's ways are not our ways. Man, Moses is ready. He's got his, his wife, Zipporah, and the two sons, and they're going to Egypt. And he's like, I'm on mission. Thank you, God, that I'm not alone. My brother Aaron is also being prepared to come with me. Yay, all things look good. Until God says, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> See, when God was, is about to kill you, you've got to take notice of that. Huh? For sure. Because what happened, it said, Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off his son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. She, she was very happy with Moses. I don't know if ever you've called your husband a bridegroom of blood. My goodness. She's pretty angry. And uh, so he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Just this random story in the midst of everything that's happening. God's about to kill this man. He's about to go and deliver. And then the story is tucked in between. Like, why? Because God's more interested in hearts than in hands. So Moses' hand is ready. His feet are moving towards Egypt. But there's something in his heart. That he had not considered important enough. Because you see, what what God said to um, Abraham back in Genesis, you'll read about that in, in Genesis, I think it's about Genesis 17, that God said, every male child should be circumcised. That's what was told to the Israelites. All of them were instructed this. Sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here we have one of those sons, having seemingly ignored that. And God is about to use him mightily to, to bring people out of, out of slavery. But God says, you know what? What is more important, my son, is not your willingness to go and be a tool in my hand. What is more important is your heart after me. He says, unless you circumcise your son, I want to kill you. So who's the most angry person on site here? The wife or God? So we read about, oh, your bridegroom of blood, oh, it's ugly, why have you done this to me? I don't want to really circumcise my son, but your God, our God, has said this is important. I'd rather have an angry wife than an angry God, Moses is probably saying. Hey, angry wife is probably no, not great, hey? But angry God, angry wife, mm, I'll, I'll, I'll rather submit to the angry God. And sometimes we have angry people around us that demand things of us. And are like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And you should do this. And we're like, what does God say? I, dr- I want to firstly please my Father in heaven. So, folks, this is an incredibly important moment to just pause at. And say, here Moses was prepared to say, what is important to God is important to me. My hand is available. My feet are there. I'm ready. I'm walking there. But my heart, gee, I missed something. So this is what's happened. God stopped him. Because he needed to put right. And so praise the Lord, we're not under that law today. But we're still under the requirement to circumcise our hearts unto him. To be made available for him. For his purposes, our hearts. So you have my hand, Lord God. And hey God, 45,000, let me just give it. (laughs) But my heart is there. Praise the Lord, if you want to give it, that's wonderful. But God is more interested in your heart than in your hand. All right? We hasten on. We see that in verse twenty-seven we read how Moses and Aaron meet up. Such a beautiful story. You can read about it in twenty seven to twenty eight and, and they recognize each other and it's hard. this is forty years probably later that they had not seen each other. Hey? Just go into your history thinking of Moses grew up for the first forty years was in was in Egypt. Then the incident happened, and, and then he fled, and he spent another 40 years outside of Egypt. Now he's coming back. Aaron, hey, he recognizes him. He accepts him, and he's willing to work alongside him. I find that quite remarkable. He hadn't spent a lot of time together with him, but there was something in Aaron's heart that was saying, hey, this is God working, and we, I'm going to be available to help my brother in his struggle to speak. I want to go and serve him. I I want to just say to you, this is a beautiful picture of us being willing and humble enough to to accept our roles and fulfill it wholeheartedly, no matter what it is. Aaron was not the main man. Aaron was going to be just the, the voice. and He was prepared to do that. Prepared to put aside everything that he perhaps was busy with and saying, okay, I'm going to serve my brother. I'll be available for him. What a beautiful picture of us as the body of Christ working together and saying, listen, my role, your role, neither one is more important, but whatever I can do and whatever I can contribute, hey, I'd be delighted to do that. And so please understand that sometimes you person number two or three or four or five, and sometimes God calls you and says, you'll be the first in line because you need to initiate these things. Whatever it is that you're called to do, be faithful with that and be loyal and be committed to unto the Lord and say, God, Whatever my role, I'm fine. I want to say walk along with the people God calls you to walk with. God has called you to walk with people like Aaron was called to walk with Moses. Why don't you walk with the people that God's called you to walk with? And sometimes Moses ain't going to be doing the things that you like. It's like there's things like brothers often. But God calls you to walk along with people. Walk along with them. And in the body of Christ, sometimes it becomes tension. There's a lot of tension and tense because "Ah, I don't like the way that things are done and what my brother said, my sister did, and how they do things. But God says, I want you to walk along with those people. Because there's something that you can learn from them. And there's something that you can teach them. But walk along. (laughs) It's amazing that they that they came and they and, and as they saw each other, they kissed. And in the reality, we're not going to always find kissing taking place as we walk along with each other, isn't it? Praise the Lord for that. Gee, I don't know if I want to kiss some of you. No, no, I don't want to kiss any of you. I just want to kiss my wife. But the point is, kissing is a very intimate thing, and it's beautiful. And there's those moments where we just, hey, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be together. I, I want to say to you as the church, when, when you guys sent us messengers and, and friends, just encourage me. It's like kissing moments, those really are. But sometimes we don't have kissing moments. We have these squabble moments and we like rubbing shoulders, but we still walk along. We still stay connected. We still stay devoted to to our God, to each other. And then in verse 29, this beautiful thing happens when Moses and Aaron then gathers together all the elders of the people of Israel and and Aaron spoke the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight and then another public moment. And the people believed. How beautiful is that? It's like, this is, I mean, I God spoke to me as Moses and, and God almost killed me. That's sorted out. Praise the Lord. My brother is on the scene. He's helping me. We're getting along to the people and we're telling them what God has said and that they're going to be released. And And, and we did all the signs and the people believed it. It's like amazing. This is, this is it. This is it. It's now finally come. We are here. Everything is just going to be wonderful from here on. And it says, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a great moment. What an encouraging time. How good is that? It's like a mountaintop moment. God, you can come now and take me home. I'm okay. This is it. The best moment. But we know that this is only the beginning of the story. Because now we go into chapter 5, where we're, we're in, initially, like, well-received. The message is just absolutely good. We're now worshiping the Lord together, and like, oh, can't we just stay here, Jesus? This is so sweet. It's like Jesus, when he was baptized, remember that story? And 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 it's just, Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, and the Father spoke. So the Trinity was there present in one moment, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is so sweet. It's just like... Jesus, I could imagine. In my flesh, I would have done that. Jesus, if I was Jesus, I would have said, Father, can we just stay like this? It's beautiful water. It's like a serene moment. Holy Spirit's here. you saying that you love me, and people are hearing it. It's like, let's just stay here. This is Park. But what does Holy Spirit do? The Bible says, he leads him into where? Into the desert. It's like, ah, let's go back retreat. Like us like just go back to this. Holy Spirit, yeah. Father is speaking. People are like, "Wow, this is Jesus. Oh, this is wonderful. Let's just park here. A couple of days. Oh, let's a couple of weeks longer. Let's have food being brought. Let me just stay here. No, no. Holy Spirit says your time has come to go further. Where? Into the desert where you're going to be alone. There's going to be no food and the devil is going to be there. Ah! That's real life, isn't it? It's like we want to stay here on the Sunday. Hey, you know, not suggesting that out there where you go home, the devil is waiting there for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. I'm just saying that the real life is that, that we are on the mountaintops, but we mostly live in the valley. We have these mountaintop moments. Praise the Lord for them. I love them. But it seems like we mostly find ourselves in valleys where we've got to go and meet up with what's coming. Because after this, their heads and worship being bowed and they worship the Lord. It says afterwards, Moses and Aaron. It's like, I wouldn't want to leave that moment. It's like, let's just stay here. No, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. So now this thing is really going public. The audience has changed. Whether it's with all these friendly people, our people. She's so like, it's a lovely year on a Sunday. We all can smile and we have great times together and there's coffee. And like, ah, tomorrow I'm going to be back at work. And there's some pharaohs out there They don't appreciate what we have and what we believe in and what God wants us to be. So there's opposition there. Obedience has to. This is the world we're in, folks. It will. Meet up with opposition somewhere. And we going got to be ready for it. So here's what happens. <laughs> Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. It's like This is it. We've, we've lived for this. Moses has been prepared for this for many years of his life. And he now actually has the opportunity to speak out they delivered the message that they received to someone they knew actually because God had warned them. Remember, he said, I will harden his heart. They're so like, ha, 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 I'm going to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to speak to him. But his heart's already hard. So I don't know how he's going to receive this, but we're going to go and do it. And Moses clearly spells out to, it's kind of like in his face. He speaks to Moses in his, uh, to, Mo, to Pharaoh in his face. He says, listen, the people that you thought are your people, because it's my slaves, they do what I want them to do. God's saying, it's my people. That's a beautiful thing of, of, of Christ coming to say, "I've died for you. You do not belong to another, you belong to me." And that's what God wants to reiterate through this message to us as we that's why Exodus is such a beautiful book. It points constantly towards God saying, what has come through Jesus Christ into your life and in my life. And so Moses makes it clear to Pharaoh, it's not your people, it's God's people. They belong to Him. And you are got to understand that time has come for you to release them unto God. So that they can not just get out of Egypt, but that they can go and worship their God. Worship their God. And they do get the response that they were warned. Because in verse 2 it says, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? It's like." Talking to me about the Lord. Do you not know? Paraphrasing from my end. Do you not know that I am God? You're telling me that there's another God? Who is this Lord? He says to them. That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Imagine Moses and Aaron. Okay. Hey, Aaron, what do we do now, buddy? Like I know God said that his heart's going to be hard, but this is a different ball game now. (laughs) Thank you, Pharaoh. Just time out quickly. We're going to just quickly go behind the scenes and just consult you. Like phone a friend. (laughs) How are we going to get out of this mess? No, this is the reality. This is what they've been prepared for. And in verse 3, then they just got to carry on with what they believe. is this mandate that God had given them, which brings us into our situation. If we face opposition, what do you and I do? Ha ha, ha ha! Which is all Hebrew for I don't have a clue. It's a Hebrew word, ha, ha, ha by the way. No, it's not. It's just this anguish in our hearts. We're like, I have no idea what to do. But yeah, these guys were prepared, it seems. They just carry on. It says, then they said, Let me explain to you who this God is. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Private world, eh? Private world. So when you face the public opposition, do you have a public world that can sustain you in those public moments of great opposition and of threat against your faith? If you don't have that, my friend, you will easily become quiet and intimidated and walk away with your tail, like they say. Oh, I don't know any further. I don't know. And I think often Christians do that. We get confronted with opposition. People don't agree with what we believe in and what we want to live for. And the sacrifice, the sacrificial life, we want to live for Christ. And they mock it, they scorn it, they ridicule it. And we're like, oh, okay, I guess I was a little bit too, you know, in love with God. Maybe I should just calm down a little bit. If you don't have a private life and a private world that can sustain you, that's what will happen when we face, not if, but when. Not if, but when. And so, our mandate from the Lord is clearly, is to love and serve people. And it's not accepted warmly by the enemy. So you go out and you want to do that, you're not going to be received with great um, welcoming. By the enemy and by the world. Love God, love people. That's simply who we are supposed to be. And out there, there's opposition against that. And so when you face that, what will you do? Do you have a private world that can pull you through and can sustain you in those moments and carry you further? We read further then, as this discourse is taking place, um, that, that Pharaoh is clearly not interested to let them be released and see what and see what happens further. In verse 5 it says and Pharaoh said behold the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. You're actually wasting time, yeah, Moses and Aaron. You're causing them to be distracted. Listen to what he says. It says in verse 6 the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they make in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. He says that's rubbish. In verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So he instructs the taskmasters and the, the people that are in control of all this work amongst the slaves to go and say this. In the past, what we did as the Egyptians, we brought the straw to make the bricks from. That gives um, stickability and makes the bricks stronger. All right? So now now Pharaoh is saying, "Eh, these guys want to go and worship. They want to be released from their job. Let me make it more difficult for them so that they will also not listen to what Moses and Aaron are saying. So let me tell them, you go fetch your own straw. You make the same number of bricks every day still. You will not be released of the number, so I'm adding workload to you. Brilliant! (laughs) God's work. He said to Moses, I will let my people be set free. You go and tell them this. And immediately, the first time that he meets up with Pharaoh, this is the opposition that they face. It is increased workload. And what we then find, it's so amazing, is that the people... They get upset with, hey, 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 what's happening here? Why do we now have to go fetch our own straw to make the bricks that you in the past had provided? So the taskmasters and Pharaoh, because they, they went to Pharaoh. It's like, oh, Pharaoh, well, how come How come we have to do this? This is what this, the, the Israelites did. How come we have to now add this workload? It says it's because of your buddies. You know, M&A, Moses and Aaron? They came to me. They said, actually... You guys ought to be released from this responsibility so that you can go and worship your God. I say no. And I'm adding workload because they asked this. So it's not my fault. So, what does he do? He points the blame to MA. And so, what did the people do? They want to crucify MA. Look at what they say to him, to them. It's in verse 21, or <laughs> verse 20 rather. It says, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. They had gone to complain to Pharaoh. And they said to them, to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. He says, look at what you've done. So Pharaoh is like, now let me step away from this scene a little bit. And there you go, servants. <laughs> you can go speak to Eminem. You go sort this one out. But I don't know what's gonna happen. You guys are gonna be so upset with Moses and Aaron that Moses and Aaron are gonna say, Oh my goodness, uh, this is not gonna help. God, do you know what you're doing? Oh, I'll just I'll just be happy with that. And so that's still the same that happens today often. People of God get involved in these squabbles, and who steps away? <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. Let them just fight it amongst themselves. You know what they're actually not doing? They're not loving God. They're not loving people. They're just fighting each other. They'll still go to heaven one day because <laughs> I can't take that away from them. But I'm going to take it from them that they wouldn't experience heaven on earth. They're going to so be upset with each other and fight one another constantly. Husbands and wives and wives and children and children and parents and brother and brother and sister and sister and... The church of Jesus, ooh, let them fight. Let them squabble with one another. Ah. Uh, There was a time when they were kissing. I'm so glad that's over, the devil would say. He just lets us fight. Because you know what we're often after? We're after comfort. And when our comfort is disrupted, we start fighting one another. It's like, oh, that's not so comfortable anymore. I mean, it was nice, the the kissing part. You know, it was great just to connect and enjoy each other. And now when it becomes a little bit difficult and there's work to be done and we're going to serve one another and we're going to reach out to each other and we're going to make time for one another, we're going to think of others and just myself. ah, There's straw being added to this workload. I don't want to be involved in that. Who made that happen? The devil's like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was Moses and (laughs) Aaron. And so he's just laughing. Because the people are saying, you make us stink. And in the meantime, the one that caused all of this is just slowly retreating. Pharaoh is just like the innocent party here. His plan is always to oppose us. And to cause us to turn away from obedience to God. And unity amongst each other. And so be aware of the fact that when you have things, (laughs) discern well. Paul says we do not fight against flesh and blood. We respect, we honor, we value each one of us. And we have differences. But we cannot allow the differences to cause that to happen. That we walk away and turn our backs against each other you it's not worth it. There's something much bigger that we live for and it's the kingdom of God. We do not live for King City Church. We live for the kingdom of God and what He has called us collectively with other churches to be involved in. We're not better than any other church. We, we have this desire to see God build what He wants to build amongst us. So what we do up in the falls, we have this incredible privilege to do. I so enjoy the support that King City Church is giving so many now to be able to be involved in that. And and we go there once a month, and we're part of what God is doing there. And it's such a great privilege. I so love the fact that you don't hear people saying, oh, where are you again today? Isn't that there on Sunday? Where is he again? Oh, he's up in the falls. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're just on the river again probably. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely, eh? It's going up to the falls again. I just so love the attitude that, that you guys have, and I want to commend you for it. Appreciate the fact that, that when whoever's on the stage uh, does not determine what happens in King City Church. It's not like, oh, Kilton is preaching today, I'm not going to be there. Or Bessie is preaching, oh, I'm not going to go there. That's, by the way, why we don't dis- distribute it widely, who's preaching. Because it's not important who preaches. It's this connectivity that's important. And so appreciate you for, for not building around this. Not building around who's doing worship on a Sunday. Because that's not important. It is an important function, but it's not the most important thing. We're doing it together. Your involvement, my friend, is more important than who does what from on the stage. Yeah. And you know what? As a, as, a, as a pastor of the church, I often have to work through the guilt of not being able to be here. I had to be with my family. And we have to do that again soon because my family is in South Africa. And I, I love the fact that I can be in Zimbabwe. There are times when I have to just go and be with them. And I love the fact that that we can do that knowing that God is building this church. It's not built by me. We do it because Jesus has called us to be together. So well done. So let's not let things destroy what God is building amongst us. The last thing that I want to say is in verse 22 to 23 where Moses in chapter 5 and we'll look into the next chapter soon but in the midst of this Moses turns to the Lord in verse 22, verse chapter 5 and says, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? I mean, I understand. not stand. It's like, I just came and did what you needed, wanted me to do. And now everybody's against me. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. It's like Moses, you're just living in the moment. There's more to come. Just hold on, buddy. Just hold on, buddy. And I want to say this to you. Don't just live in the moment and say, oh, as much as we don't only live in that moment where everything is 100% hunky-dory, like it was at the end of chapter 4. Don't just at the end of chapter 5 also come to a moment where, we go, are you God? I mean, Moses, a couple of verses earlier, you were like, fine. Now suddenly when you think like God's not there, you want to just chuck out your toys. Well, I'm not in this anymore. He says Hey, just goshly. Just slow down. Eh? And let God do what God wants to do. He's in control. He is able. Moses is immediately offended with God and blames him for everything. Like Pharaoh blamed Moses, and the civil the servants blamed Moses. And now Moses blames God. It's just this blame game going on. <laughs> All we need to do is just take take a deep breath and say, God is in control. Everything will be fine. I want to close with this. It's such I mean, there's so much that comes out of these verses, ain't it? And I want to encourage you to go read and go let God massage these things into your heart. All right, Take them beyond just this moment. But I want to encourage you about your private walk with God. I want to ask you: Does your, pri- does your public walk, or your public life, resemble or take after your public, your private walk with God? Do you have a private walk with God that can sustain you in your public life, public walk with people? I want to say to you: Every step of obedience to God has the potential to be opposed by a pharaoh that sets himself up against God. Be aware of it. Don't fear it. Be prepared for it. Let your obedience to God be uncontaminated. Be absolutely secure that no matter what opposition come, you will stick to it. I want to ask you, how are you dealing with opposition to your obedience to God currently in your life? Are you pushing through no matter what? How are you dealing with opposition to God, to your obedience to God? Because there is. There is opposition to your faith in God. How are you dealing with it? I want to say it starts with your private walk with God. What you feel God is saying and sharing with you. Let's pray. Sure, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. My goodness, there's so much in this book of Exodus that already has been challenging us. And will continue to challenge us. And I pray that it will build us into the people that you want us to be. Love your word. Thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are the the after preacher. You will take this chapter, for instance, and go and speak to us even beyond these minutes that we've been together. And I pray that, that as we listen, as we As we read, as we allow you to continue to speak to us, that there will be a willingness in our hearts, Lord God, to privately let those things infiltrate our hearts and our being and change us from within. That no matter what opposition may come, that we will not allow it to to deter us from a long obedience in the same direction. I trust you for it. I pray for people this morning that have never obeyed you by accepting you as as Lord and Savior of their life, by saying yes to Jesus, to say, yes, I'm a sinner. I have never acknowledged that I'm a sinner. I need your grace, and I need your forgiveness. I need salvation. I pray for such people that are seated here today, Lord God, that they will start this journey today, the first step of obedience to you, by saying, please forgive me for my sins. I repent of them, and I ask you to take control of my life. I pray, Father, for people that are here that need to do that. I pray that they will be willing to do it. And then I pray, Father, for all of us that have started the journey of obedience to you, that we will be committed no matter what. No matter what. Or any kind of opposition. We don't, we, don't, we don't invite opposition. We don't love opposition. But we need to deal with opposition. And may our obedience to you be so strong that no matter what comes, that we will stay committed. I trust you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.